seated today. So good to have everyone with us and in our service today. We welcome you uh, joining with us and those of you that are watching by live stream, we welcome you as well and uh, excited for what God is doing here today in this house. Amen. His presence is here today. I said His presence is here today in this house. Amen. Amen. Well, I, uh, I know Brother Jeff already mentioned a couple things, uh, but I'm going to re-mention them here. Um, number one, I do want to thank you. Last week, many of you uh, grabbed your, uh, your Christmas offering cards. Uh, this is something we do every year, uh, kind of for the end of the year. It's our wrap-up offering uh, for Christmas. It goes to uh, help our North American missionaries, Tupelo Children's Mansion, uh, very specific things uh, that we use this offering for, uh, those two in particular, those two things in particular. Uh, and we send some of it down to Tupelo Children's Mansion for them to help with their gift purchasing for all of the children there and, uh, and their food costs. And then we send uh, to some very specific North American missionaries. These are church planning pastors and their families. Uh, many of them are working either full-time and struggling to build a church, and so their church needs help uh, in their finances, or they're doing every can, everything they can to build their church, and they're on minimal income, and so this kind of helps them uh, with Christmas gifts for their children or maybe food that they need, whatever it is that they need. And so I thank you uh, for your gift of giving. Looking at the cards that were taken last week and adding those up, we're at around $2,000 right now, which is wonderful, and I thank you for that. Uh, but we want to try to do as much as we can. And so if you didn't get a chance last week to grab a card or, or an envelope, please do so this week. And, uh, and you can turn that in in the offering. Uh, somebody texted me this week, asked me when uh, that needs to be turned in. We're hoping to do that by the third Sunday of December. Uh, but if you need until the end of the year, you can turn that in on January 1st. Uh, that would be great. We appreciate that. And we appreciate your giving. Uh, and December 25th, as Brother Jeff mentioned, that is a Sunday. And I know many people want to be together on Christmas Sunday here in the house of the Lord. Uh, but there's also many people that want to be with their families or many people are traveling. And so we just felt it best to do an online service that day. And so it'll be at our normal time at 10 o'clock. And if that's right in the middle of your opening gifts on Christmas morning, take a moment and pause your giving or your, your gift receiving and, and opening gifts and go to the live stream Watch the live stream with us. Let's watch it together. Uh, service that day will be around 30 minutes or so. We won't keep you too long. But we're going to have a time of worship that morning and uh, devotion. And our children will be on the live stream. They're going to be performing uh, during that time. And, uh, and so we're looking forward to a great, great month of December. And I'm just so thankful for our church family. I'm thankful for our church family. I'm thankful for the body of Christ. And uh, I pray and trust that everyone had a good Thanksgiving. And uh, if you didn't, I am sorry. I, I pray that next year will be better. Um, some of you, uh, I, I said, how was your Thanksgiving? You said, what's Thanksgiving without a family fight? And, uh, and I said, well, did you all leave on good terms? And yeah, yeah, we did. Some, I don't know if you did or not, or you didn't want to answer. But I don't know why, but uh, I pray that overall it was a good Thanksgiving for you. 
And, uh, and I was thinking about what to preach today. And, and I don't know if it's just me or if it's, if it's just you, if it's our family, your family. Um, each year we seem to have uh, food just left over from Thanksgiving. We have lots of food left over. And so this year we decided, we knew how many people were going to be at our Thanksgiving. We knew how many people were coming. We knew how many people were not coming. We knew who we invited and we knew who we did not invite. And so we knew very specifically how much food we needed for Thanksgiving. And we only made that amount of food. But yet somehow... Uh, it just seemed to, to keep growing. The food just kept growing and growing. You'd dish it out a little bit and the food kept growing. And you thought, we, we cleared this pan, but it's full again. Or, or I thought we ate as much turkey as, as there was to eat and, and, and yet there's still half a bird left. Or There's just a lot of things there. There's a lot of leftovers. And, and anybody that knows me, knows that I am a person that if I go to a restaurant and I eat and, and I don't eat it all, I will put it in a leftover box and, and I will take it with me. But many times that box will go and it'll sit in my fridge for a day or two or five or six and eventually just be thrown into the trash. I am not a leftover person, but I feel bad. When I was in Battle Creek, I knew where to go where I could take my leftovers and give it to somebody on the side of the road to help feed them. Or we would get a meal and just take it with us and give it to somebody. But there always seems to be leftovers. And it's like, you know what? We're not even going to eat it. Why do we do it? But mama always said, save the leftovers. And so we have Tupperware parties to save the leftovers. And we have uh, uh, Pampered Chef parties to save the leftovers. And I want to talk to you today about save the leftovers. Save the leftovers. Jesus gave us a story about leftovers. Even Jesus said, save the leftovers. How many of you save the leftovers? How many of you take that hot turkey that you had and later in the day on Thanksgiving you make a cold turkey sandwich? Or the next day, or the next day. We, we had family that was with us throughout this week at different parts. And, and my family, one of my family members, one of my cousins, on Friday night, uh, he was on meal number four off of that original Thanksgiving dinner. And Saturday morning was round number five, and then round number six, and finally last night, he finished off round number seven of the Thanksgiving leftovers. He was saving the leftovers as long as he could. Jesus said, save the leftovers. And he told us about this in John chapter six. It was a story many of us know, many of us have heard growing up. It's a story of a little boy with how many fish? Two fish and five loaves of bread. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 6, I'm going to read from the message version uh, today. It's just a little easier to, to get through here. After this, Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee. Some call it Tiberias. A huge crowd followed him. And they were attracted by the miracles they had seen him do amongst the sick. When he got to the other side, he climbed a hill and sat down, surrounded by his disciples. It was nearly time for the feast of the Passover that was kept annually by the Jews. When Jesus looked out and saw the large crowd had arrived, he said to Philip, Where can we buy bread to feed these people? 
He said this to stretch Philip's faith. He already knew what he was going to do. Let me tell you, when God is talking to you, and you seem to be in a predicament, and you don't know what you're going to do, and Jesus says to you, hey, what are you going to do? You see, he's saying this to stretch your faith. He already knows what's in store. How many of you have ever lived your life and you didn't know how you were going to pay the next bill or how you were going to fill your car with gas or, or put food on your table, but you had to trust in God and God supplied and your faith was built from it. This is what God does. He already knew what he was going to do. But Philip answered and he said unto him, 200 silver pieces wouldn't be enough to buy bread for each person to get a piece. One of the disciples, Andrew, the brother to Simon Peter, said, There's a little boy over there who's got five barley loaves and two fish, but that's just a drop in the bucket for a crowd like this. And Jesus said, Make the people sit down. There's a nice carpet of green grass in this place. So they sat down, about 5,000 of them. And Jesus took the bread and having given thanks, gave it to those who were seated. And he did the same with the fish and all ate as much as they wanted. Did anybody ever have a grandmother or a mama when you got to their house, they said, baby, take a seat, eat whatever you want. Have as much as you want. Take, anybody like them all-you-can-eat buffets? Come on. I remember going into, I have some family that's not so small, and we went into a buffet one time, and you should have seen the look on that manager's face when we walked in. We walked in determined to shut that place down for the night. There was about 10 of us, and I don't think anybody was under 300 pounds. I mean, we walked in, and we were proud and ready. We said, where's the mashed potatoes, the fried chicken? We were ready. It was a $9.99 buffet. We were ready to tear that place up. Anybody remember Ryan's or Old Country Buffet? Buffet, Yeah, man, we tear that place up. And the great thing about that is you can just keep going back and going back and going back. I loved it. This is kind of what I, I dreamed that was like. I dreamt that Jesus built like an old country buffet right there in the middle of this green pasture. And he said, everybody come and eat as much as you want. These people ate as much as they wanted. And when the people had eaten their fill, Jesus said to the disciples, he said, gather the leftovers so nothing is wasted. So they went to work and they filled 12 large baskets with leftovers from the five loaves and the two fish. This is a story that we've heard so many times if you've been around church for any length of time. The little boy who had a lunch of five loaves and, and, and two small fishes offered it to Jesus. And Jesus took the little boy's lunch and he multiplied it until the entire crowd was fed and a great miracle had occurred. Most of us are familiar with that story. But after the crowd is filled, we've, we don't always read about where... And we don't focus on too much where Jesus did the interesting thing in verse 12. And that's where he commanded the disciples to grab the fragments, the remaining, the leftovers. So that way nothing would be lost. You see, Jesus was concerned about the leftovers. Now some have used this verse to teach us to be good stewards of what God has given us and not to waste it. And I believe that. And I don't, I don't believe that God deserves our leftovers when it comes to our finance. He deserves our first fruits. 
He deserves our first fruits. However, I want to get to you today in what I believe that God has put in my spirit for you. I thought about Christ gathering all the fragments and the leftovers and the things that no one in the crowd wanted anymore. He gathered them for a purpose. What was the purpose in gathering the leftovers? Well, I believe that he wanted to use them. I believe he was going to use them. And I want you to know this morning that we serve a God who is concerned about the leftovers in your life. He's concerned about the fragments in your life. He's concerned about the broken off crumbs of your life that you thought didn't matter. That you've tried to sweep under the rug or you've tried to vacuum and throw out with the trash. As a pastor, I talk to so many people who have been saved maybe later in their life. And and they say, Pastor, I wish I would have known this earlier in my life. I wish I would have been coming to church earlier in my life. And and I wish I wouldn't have wasted so much. And I only have so many years left now. But I thank God that you're saved now. And that you're serving God now. Who will gather the fragments that remain that nothing should be lost. Or perhaps maybe you've been in church for quite some time. And you've slipped into sin. And you've walked away or you've fallen away. And and you've walked away from God and you've made wrong decisions. And you've, you've made some wrong choices. But you've come back to the Father and you found 1 John 1 and 9 to be true. Where where he said if we confess our sins, he is faithful. And He is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm thankful for a God that if we confess our sins, He is willing to forgive us and to cleanse us. No questions asked. And you found the forgiveness that God has offered in His Word But you find maybe that you're still discouraged and you're still defeated. Can I tell you that that even as your pastor, I get this way sometimes? That maybe if I've done something wrong to somebody, if I've said something wrong to somebody, I've I've hurt somebody, maybe uh, uh, maybe I've I cheated somebody, and it wasn't even on, it wasn't intentional, but I've done it, and, and, and I realize later, hey, I, I didn't pay the right price for that, or or I didn't I didn't quote this right, or I didn't say this right, or or I hurt this person, or I I did this to this person. I have failed God so many times, but yet He's always faithful to forgive me but I still feel like that God can't use me. Has anybody been there? Anybody understand what I'm talking about today? Maybe you think that you've made such a mess of your life that you can't be fruitful for God. And it seems like your life hasn't gone the way you wanted it to and so many of your dreams are not realized. And you are forgiven, but you're still not being used of God because you're living in a place of despair and of defeat and forever you've been beat down by your past. That's exactly where the devil wants you to stay. You see, the devil doesn't care if you come to church just as long as you stay in that defeated stage, in that despair stage, in that depressed stage. The devil doesn't care if you come and you lift your hands during worship just as long as you stay defeated when you leave. He's saying, I've got you right where I want you. I've got you left on the plate and everybody else has walked away. Nobody's coming back for you anymore. They're coming back to clean the table. That's all they're coming back for. But I'm thankful for a God today that says, whatever has happened in your life, I'm here to gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing shall be lost. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. I want to show you a couple of examples this morning. I'm not going to preach very long today, but I want to show you a couple of examples of this truth from Scripture. I want to tell you about a man named Samson. Samson was a man who knew the power of God. God used Samson to do all sorts of of mighty miracles and recorded for us in the book of Judges. You can go read about his story in the book of Judges. But there was a time that Samson became involved in rebellion and in lust and in sexual immorality. And Samson paid a very high price for this sin. He lost God's power. He was taken captive by the Philistines and he had his eyes gouged out. They chained Samson to a grinding house to grind like a common animal. But I believe that Samson worked in that grinding mill at some point when he worked. He sought and he found God's forgiveness for his sins. And the Bible tells us that Samson's hair began to grow again. You remember that Samson's strength came from his hair. And there was this woman named Delire. Delilah, but she was Delire, that's for sure. There was a woman named Delilah that came and she said, Oh, Sammy, baby. Where do you get your strength from? Or in the King James, she said, Where doth thou gain thy strength from? And he would tell her something, and she'd go out and she'd tell the Philistines, because she was a spy, you know, she was a double agent. And she'd get in there, forgive me, because this is the last time I've talked about Samson, was I was doing children's ministry. So this is how we tell the kids about it. She told him, she said, how do you do this? He said, this is where my strength comes from. And she told the bad guys, the Philistines. And they came in and he woke up from a dream or from from sleeping and he knocked them all out and kicked them out of the tent. And the next night she said, where does your strength come from? He told her something else and they came in again. Broke it down, broke it down, broke it down. Finally he said, my strength comes from my hair. So she cut his hair off and that night they snuck in and and they, they got him. He couldn't whoop them anymore. They got him and they chained him up. But I think sometime while he was working, he began to feel, feel that, that, that need for forgiveness. And he began to feel the need to repent. And so as he began to do that, God began to let his hair grow back. And the Philistines, they eventually took Samson to a temple of a false god so they could mock his helplessness. They said, here was a great man that was used by the almighty God, but now has no strength for God has left him. And they said, look what he can do. And he was chained between two pillars. And as a great host of Philistines came into that temple, they began to party and they began to laugh. But Samson found his way to these pillars as he was blind. He couldn't see, but he found his way and he began to cry out. And the Bible says that Samson prayed to the Lord. He said, sovereign. Lord remember me again he said hey God do you remember who I am remember me right now and strengthen me just one more time and with one blow let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes and then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held the temple and he pushed against them with both hands and he prayed let me die with these Philistines and the temple came down and the Philistine rulers and all the people were killed in that moment he had killed more people when he died than he had in his entire lifetime verse 31 tells us that later his brothers and other relatives came to get his body came to get his body and they took him back home and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal where his father Manoah was buried. 
You see, Samson cried out for God's power to fall on him just one more time. And God granted his request and Samson pushed the pillars down, killing more during his death than in his lifetime. He killed and took on the enemy of God. Why was it that God's power fell again on a man who lost it through his own sinfulness? It's because God was gathering the fragments that remained so that nothing would be lost. Another important person, another disciple that was in the Bible by the man, a man named Peter. We find the disciple Peter in Matthew chapter 26. The one who had promised he would follow the Lord even until his death. We find him in a courtyard. And a servant girl came over and said to him, Weren't you one of those that with Jesus the Galilean? But Peter denied it in front of everyone. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. And later out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. And a little sometime later, the other bystanders came over to Peter and they said, You must be one of them. We can tell by your accent. And Peter swore, he said, A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed before Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went away weeping bitterly. Here is Peter. He was a disciple. It was Peter who, who later he preached the gospel. And, and Peter, was, he, was, he was here and he was serving Jesus. But in a moment, he didn't want to be associated because he was fearful of what would happen. He denied him. And Jesus told him, he said, by the end of the night, before the rooster crows, you are going to deny me three times. He realized his sin and he left bitterly. And some would say that he was washed up. The best days of serving Christ were behind him. And surely God could not use him. But Peter found forgiveness and went on to become the greatest preacher of Pentecost. Why was it? It was because God was gathering the fragments that remained so nothing would be lost. There's so many others that I could tell you about in the, in the Word of God. There was Rahab the harlot. She fell in the line of Christ. There was the woman at the well who led many people to Christ. The woman who was caught in the act of adultery. There was John Mark who forsook the ministry and yet later Paul said, Bring him to me for he is profitable. And Christ never excused their sin, but they were confronted with it. And once they repented, Christ gathered the fragments of their life that remained so nothing would be lost. You may sit here today and say, look, I have sinned and I'm not worthy. I'm not good to be used. He might as well throw me away. Look, that's the moment that you realize that you're living in sin when you say, I've done so much, I can't do it right. But then you got to remember that He's done so much for me that I cannot tell it all. He's forgiven me. He saved me. He bought me with His blood when He died on a cross for me. Hey, He didn't leave me to die in a valley. And He didn't leave me to suffer up on a mountaintop. But He said, hey, come on to me, child. If you're thirsty, I'm going to give you water to drink. If you're hungry, I'll give you food to eat. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We serve a God that says, I'm not going to leave anything on the table, but I'm going to take it up for you. I'm going to put you away, and I'm going to take care of the fragments and the broken and the bruises, and I'm going to restore in you what I have called you to be. 
You can say, Pastor, I've wasted too many months or years on just everything. I've made wrong decisions. I've made bad choices. And, and it's impacted my life forever. I've messed up so many times. You don't know. I, I betrayed my family. I betrayed my husband. I betrayed my wife. But you know what? I serve a God that says, look, I'm willing to look beyond that if you are. Not just, look, okay, let me stop for a minute. He said, if you're willing to move on from it, I'm willing to forgive it. What God does so many times is He forgives us for the sins that we've committed. But we get so buried into it and we get so settled into it because we think that we can't move on from our sin. And God God said, hey, come on, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to get you out of that pit that you've been living in. Trying to pull you out of the sinking sand. We've got to get it in our mind that when we say, God, forgive me. God says, all right, it's done. Move on. God, I need help. All right, come on, let me help you. God, I can't do it on my own. I need you. All right, I'm ready to help you. We've got to get out of the despair. We've got to get out of the depression. We've got to have a want to attitude. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The first thing that you have to do is trust in Christ for your salvation. Today is the day of salvation. If you're already a Christian, then the first thing you got to do is ask your father for forgiveness. And then you get up off your knees and say, well, I can't change the past. But thank God it's under the blood. I can do something about the future. Your life is not washed up. Your life has not been wasted. Everything that you have been through in the past few months, in the past few years, is not to be wasted. It's to, it's to gain you strength. It's to gain you wisdom. It's to help you move, to help somebody else that's going through what you've went through. I'm not proud of my past, but I thank God for my past. And I thank God that He brought me out of it. You don't have to sit on the bench anymore. You can get in and play the game. What I love about God is God doesn't, God doesn't do a back and forth with the devil and say, everybody line up on the fence for kickball. I'm going to pick this one and then it's your pick. And then it's this pick and that pick. Nobody ever wanted to be picked last. Nobody ever wanted to be picked last. Because when it came down to it, the final two captains said, well, I guess you can have so-and-so. Well, I don't want so-and-so. You have so-and-so. Nobody wants that. I thank God that he doesn't line us up on a fence and say, Hey, you look good enough to serve me. Why don't you come serve me? Oh, you're not ready yet. Go back to, go back to serving the devil. I'll come find you when you get a little better. You, no, God says, Hey, come unto me all. Everybody come unto me. He said, Everybody can be on my team. God is going to gather your fragments that remain so that nothing will be lost. And I'll tell you this, he's going to do it in a way that is so great you can't even imagine or fathom it. I think about the final one I want to talk to you about today is David. David, probably one of the most famous men in the Bible, was David. David was a man after God's own heart. While David was king, David did something that That he wasn't proud of. It haunted him. It kept him up at night. And that was when David went to his balcony and he looked among his kingdom. And he looked down and he saw a young woman who was bathing by the name of Bathsheba. 
And he took interest in her. And he called unto his servants. He said, who is that woman? And they said, that is Bathsheba. Her husband's fighting for you right now. He said, bring her unto me. And so she came into the palace and the Bible tells us that David and Bathsheba lied together. But David, David realized he had done something wrong and he had to do something about the husband. So he brought the husband back from war and he said, hey, go lay with your wife. And the husband was so, so uh, worthy, not worthy of spending a night in his own home when all of his men were out on the battlefield. He said, I can't do that. I'm going to sleep in the servants' quarters of the palace. And he slept on the steps that night. And, the, and King David said, no, you need to go and you need to lay with your wife and go spend time with your wife. He said, I can't do that. My men are fighting on the battlefield. And so eventually David realized the only thing that he could do to get this man out of the picture was he had to send him to the front lines to be killed. And so it happened. And the Bible tells us that David, David began to feel bad about it. The prophet began to tell him stories of men that have, have cheated and that were done wrong and different things like this. And so David said, who was these men? And he said, that man is you. And David confessed. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. And it tells us in Samuel. And Nathan replied to him. He said, yes, you have. But the Lord has forgiven you. And you won't die in your sin. And David could have left it right there. You see, we all know the greatest deeds that David performed by faith. David paid a great price for his sin. But he found forgiveness and he went on to be used by God. But he didn't stop at just being thankful. Okay, God, you've forgiven me. Let me tell you what David prayed. In Psalm 139, he wrote these words. He said, Lord, you have examined my heart. And you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you are there. If I go to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning and if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day and darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you have knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for wondrously making me so complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in the utter seclusion and as I have woven together in the dark room. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day has passed. And how precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. 
I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? And yes, I hate them with total hatred. For your enemies are my enemies. And this is where David got real with God. David tried to ask God for everything for forgiveness that he had done in his life. But then this is where he said, he wrote all of these scriptures, all of these verses, all the way up to verse number 23. He said, you know everything about me, God. And since you know everything about me and you created the innermost being, search me, oh God. Even though you already know everything about me, still search me. Oh God, and know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Another version says, see if there be any wicked ways in me. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. That should be our prayer. Every morning, every night, search me, oh God, and know my thoughts today. See if there is any wicked way in me and remove it and lead me into everlasting life. When we get up off of our knees and we can say that we're forgiven. Listen, I'm not giving you reasons to sin. The Bible tells us that we need to stay close to God and not allow sin in our lives. The consequences of sin are real and they're devastating. But I'm telling you today, when you have failed, God he will not only forgive you but he will gather the fragments that are remaining in your life and he will put back together a broken heart God can put back together a broken marriage God can put back together a broken relationship a broken dream broken finances God can bring it back together and he can say look I've got some leftover fish I've got some leftover bread some thought it wasn't important just give it to the birds but I said oh it's important and I'm going to bring it back and he will gather them and he will use them to do great miracles in your life save the leftovers save the leftovers as we stand today I want you to understand that we serve a God who loves you we serve a God who cares about you we serve a God who says, look, I'm not just going to let you go. I know you thought you have messed up and you can't do anything right, but you know what? That's what I specialize in. God said, I specialize in brokenness. There's a lot of times God can't use us until we get broken. And so we need to pray, God, break me. Why do I want God to break me? Why do I want, why do I want to be broken, Pastor? Because there's some things in you that are holding you back from being who God has called you to be that needs to be broken. There's some idols that's still built up in you. There's some anger that's built in you. There's some bitterness, uh, walls of bitterness that's built up. There's hurt that's built up. And we need to say, God, break me and use me. Look, I'll tell you this, and, and I may be wrong here, but to me, the greatest part about Thanksgiving is the leftovers. There's so much you can do with the leftovers. You can do casseroles, you can do breakfast, you can do lunch, you can do dinner again. You can do so much with the leftovers. And I thank God that he said, hey, look, Austin, I know that you've got some messed up things in your life. Don't throw it away. Let me use that. 
There's days I wake up and I just, I, I pray, God, let me do right today. And then I lay down at night and I go, God, I'm sorry for being stupid today. I'm sorry for being an idiot today. I made some mistakes. I made some choices that I probably shouldn't have made. He goes, you know what? That's okay. Because I can take some leftovers. And we can show you how to stay away from doing that again. We can show you how to, to not do what you thought was wrong. We, we don't have to do that. We got some leftovers. We can fix this. We can make this all good again. Save the leftovers. If you are needing God to touch your heart today and you need forgiveness in your life, all you've got to do is say, God, I'm here. That's the first step is saying, I'm here. I recognize that I've done some things in my life that aren't right. It goes against your word. It goes against your teaching. I need you to forgive me. I need you to forgive my heart. I need you to forgive my mind. Forgive my spirit. Help me to walk in righteousness. Help me to walk in love. Help me to walk in peace. Help me to walk the path that you want me to go. Forgive me for all of my sins. That's the first step. And it's so easy. And if you truly mean what you are saying, God will forgive you of your sins. I was sitting with my grandfather this week who is 85. And he's getting a little slower. He's not able to move as much as he used to. And, and I could tell that, that, as Jackson would say, you know, time's running out. But we were sitting there this week together and we were talking about this scripture of Psalm 139. And he said, Austin, he says, I'm getting older. I realize that I got a lot more days behind me than I do ahead of me. And he said, I got to make sure that my life is right. And he said, every night I lay down and I pray and I cry, God, if I have done anything that is not pleasing to you, please forgive my heart. He said, and when I wake up in the morning, I pray, God, I need your mercies today. You said your mercy is new every morning. And I'm thankful for new mercies today. He said, Austin, you've got a long time ahead of you. He goes, I know I don't. He said, I'm going to leave this with you. Do everything that you can to make sure that your church is ready to meet the Lord. He said, do everything you can to know that your children have a right heart and a right spirit when they go to sleep at night. He said, make this Papa proud and meet me in heaven one day. And it was everything I could do not to break down right there saying, hey man, you got a lot more days left to live. You got to stop all this talking. But he said, I could wake up in the morning and something happened. Or I could go to bed at night at any time and not wake up and know that I'm in heaven. And I'm going to see you again one day if you do right. Don't throw away the leftovers, ladies and gentlemen. Don't throw the life away that, that God has given you. Why don't you come today to this altar if you're comfortable and say, God, use me. God, forgive me. God, break me. Use me for what you want to use me for. I open this altar to you today. And if you're not comfortable, come.